You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Would you join me as we continue in our worship going to God's Word today? And, uh, you know, this summer we've been in this mini-series talking about the church, the nature of the church, God's desire and purpose uh, for the church. So whether you've been a part of the church for decades or maybe you're uh, just giving it a try for the first time. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. God has a, a lot for us to learn today. We're going to be in Matthew 13. This is a famous parable from Jesus. Uh, I'll, I'll lead you through it. We're going to read a few verses up front and then kind of skip to a few after, um, starting in Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Go down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is God's word. Yeah, we've been rediscovering God's purpose, heart, passion, design for the church. We've been asking questions like, who is the church? Uh, How do we get along? Who leads Why do we gather? And today we're answering a question that is, what about the others? You know, what about people who are outside the church? What about people that are are not Christians, non-believers? What about people that, that would not consider themselves, you know, Christian and in the church? What about them? And I bet if I asked every person in this room that question, uh, who is the church for, I'd get a different answer for different people. Questions like, well, the church is for Christians. It's for our own spiritual growth and development. It's for our encouragement and maturity in faith. Others might say, well, the church exists for the community, for the spiritual and physical, practical welfare of our neighbor. Others might say, well, the church obviously exists for the glory of God, and that's why we are here. And all of these answers are, in some way, correct. Christians are people who are called out 
That's what the church means, right? That's what ecclesia means. It means to be called out of a world of darkness and sin and alienation from God and brought together in relationship with God and with one another and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God. But what about others? What about all of the others? What about people who don't fit into that category? What happens to them? These are the non-Christians. These are skeptics. These are strangers and outsiders to the church. And today you may be here identifying as an other, the other, the outsider. And, and two things I want you to hear as we begin this, because it can be, for you, I know, really weird to come into church. Maybe even after a time, a long time away from the church, it feels difficult. It's strange to engage in the Christian rhythms. Here are two things I want you to know. The church exists in part for you. We are here for you. It is good that you are here. We are glad that you are here. Holy Cross exists for you. And secondly, believe it or not, the Bible has a great deal to say about those who are fit into that category of the other, the outsider, the one who doesn't belong in that community of faith. The Bible doesn't only address you know, those who believe, but those who have yet to believe and those who don't believe. In fact, at one point, every Christian has been part of this group. Every Christian has been a part of the group as an outsider, an other. And so today, for most of you, you're convinced that you are not a part of that group. You're, you're a Christian, you're a believer, and the church exists for you in part. Holy Cross is here for you, for your growth, for your maturity, for your encouragement, for your strengthening in your faith to equip you and to challenge you to understand how God works in your heart, but also how he works in the world, how he works in the hearts of those who do not believe. And that's what this parable is about. It's about the other. It's about how the word of God works and why some people believe and why some never believe. Why some uh, seem to believe for a short period of time and then, and then walk away completely from Jesus. Jesus' words often paint this beautiful picture. Jesus is, he uses words to communicate such beauty and truth. He speaks of camels going through eyes of needles, and he speaks of people removing specks from their eyes and building houses on rocks instead of on sand. And he, he paints these pictures for us so that we can understand what is real, what is good, what's true. And these stories are not actual events. These are parables. And this is a parable. They're parables. They're stories that are taken from, from real-life situations they're where we can learn real moral and spiritual truths. And therefore, parables by nature, they're meant to be read, attempting to make sense of something of spiritual value, not reading every single word and understanding every word as literal, but as an analogy. They're meant to communicate just one or just a few basic truths about what, it, what he's wanting to teach us. And so here, Jesus teaches a parable to help us to understand how the gospel works in the hearts of people who come to faith to him and how the gospel hits people's hearts that do not believe in him. And it's good for us, no matter where we are, to understand how that works. Why do some people become Christians? Why do some people hear the gospel, maybe at a young age or a later age, and say, I believe in that, and some reject it for their whole life? You maybe have family members. Some of you 
have family members that aren't Christians. You've been praying for them for years. You're wondering why you came to faith and they didn't. Some of you are a parent and have a son or a daughter that you've been praying for for years and they have yet to put their trust and faith in Jesus and you just don't understand why God is not answering those prayers. Maybe you've had Christians you've looked up to for your whole life and they were pivotal and, and monumental in your own faith and now they don't even have a relationship with Jesus at all. And you are just wondering and confused, how does this happen? And the secret to understanding all of this, how the gospel works in our hearts, the secret here, as Jesus tells us, it's found in grasping the idea of the seed of the gospel. The seed of the gospel. The seed is key to it all. It's the key that unlocks every door. It's, it solves every problem. It, it, every confusion in life is, in, is made clear when we understand how the gospel works and how it hits our hearts. The gospel is more like a seed than an entrance exam into heaven. And we think of the gospel like that a lot. Well, if you just believe this, and if you ascribe to these truths, and if you embrace these things, then you're part of the family of God, and everyone else is just part of the other. But it's not like that. It is like a seed. There's certain, there aren't certain kinds of people that do well on this exam, and others that, just, that, that flunk. You know, it's more like something that grows in a person, slowly overtakes their heart completely, brings them to maturity and fruitfulness and obedience. Let me, let me show you how important this is to understand. Have you ever asked yourself or wondered this of yourself? God, I thought I was your beloved child. Why is there so much sorrow and pain in my heart? I thought you cared for me. I believe in your message, and why, why, is it, why am I so slow to changing? Why is it taking so long? I trust you. I've forsaken much that I've considered to be a part of a sinful life, and I just wish that you would just perfect me already. <laughs> why is this taking so long? You said if I believe in you, then, then these things will happen. Well, what's, come on, pick it up. Or this, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I shouldn't struggle anymore, and you feel this guilt, and you feel this shame, and you say to yourself, I should know better. Why am I still living like this? Because the gospel is a seed that grows. The gospel is not an entrance exam that we take, pass, and then get in and are great forever. God doesn't come into our lives like a bulldozer. He doesn't do that. He, he comes in and he slowly clears the ground. He comes in and he removes sharp rocks and things that are in the way that keep us from growing. He fills in holes with fresh, fresh soil in our hearts. He plants seeds. He comes in and he waters it and nourishes it and nurtures it, tends to it, and it grows. The seed is the gospel. The, seed, the, the gospel is the good news. And it, it is like it comes into the soil of the human heart. And the emphasis on this parable are the different kinds of hearts. The different kinds of hearts that upon which the gospel falls. And I know that, and I imagine that every single one of these soils are going to be represented in this room. There are four soils upon which the seed is cast. Same seed, same truth, same message, same God who proclaims these good things, and yet four different hearts that receive it or reject it. They hear the same gospel. A full representation of this story here in this room. 
And so let this parable be, it can be a lot of things for you today. It can be a test, not to get into heaven, but a test of discernment for your own heart, asking yourself, where am I today? Uh, possibly it could be a warning to hear God's word, to receive it, to trust in it. Possibly it could be to help you understand how God might be working in people in your life that you've previously written off as just sinful people that can't grow. Maybe it's something that will encourage you in God's own process in your own life. Let's look at them together one at a time. We're going to look at first as he goes through it and says, the seed along the path is the gospel that falls on a hard heart. Can you picture this ground uh, upon which this seed is cast? I mean, this hard, trotted ground, this sun-scorched path. Uh, it's been traveled on for, by thousands of people over years. Nothing is growing on it. It's really hard. Like, water can't even penetrate it. The seed is definitely not penetrating it. And it's the type of person whose heart is so hard to the, uh, to the word of God. It's the type of person that's described in the first chapter of Romans, that all, even though God reveals himself to them, they suppress the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They reject the truth. And the heart becomes hard because of sin, and, le and sin leads to two things as it relates to God's word. One is the message is rejected. And two is the rejection leads to even further sin. And that's the pattern that happens when we reject the word of God. So instead of hearing God's word and being soft to it and rejecting it, this person hears God word, God's word, consults with others, uh, weighs their opinions, tests the culture, considers personal consequences, and comes to a final conclusion that God's word is not the way to go. And it may be benign at first, and it may be simple, but... Over time, it leads to more sin and more temptation and more hard-heartedness. I've heard many of you even have, have asked this question of me. Why are things so bad? I mean, have you realized how bad things have gotten? Why are things so bad in the world? I mean, just when I thought they couldn't get worse, they get worse. Why is that? Why can't people just open their ears and hear God and, and, and do what he says? Because instead of receiving God's truth, they suppress it, and it leads to corruption. It leads to, it leads to evilness. It leads to wickedness. For this person, the message of Jesus is just one message among thousands of other messages. And here's the interesting thing. In one sense, the path looks like a really great place to find truth. Where would you go? Wouldn't you be inclined to go to that path if you were in the wilderness with 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 just in the wilderness and not knowing where to go and looking to find like your way, wouldn't you see a path and say, finally, that's where it is. Everyone's traveling this way. It must be right. If you're in a new city, you're looking for a new restaurant, a new building, you want to find the way to the city center, you want to become a part of a culture, you just look and see what other people are doing. Well, what is everybody else doing? Where are the crowds going? It's got to be good. Look at that line. When I'm in a crowd, I actually don't prefer to lead. I like to be somewhere towards the back or middle back. <laughs> and I'm just saying, like, just tell, like, I'll just follow you guys. Just, I will follow you and turn my mind off, turn my brain off, and just enjoy the view as, as we just go together. And this works most of the time in the kingdom of the world, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. 
As Jesus even says previously in Matthew 7, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The person with the hard heart says, I know God's word, but... I know God's word says, but... It's a dangerous thing to put a but where God puts a therefore. <laughs> this is God's word, therefore... This is what you do. The birds come, they snatch it up. And another way of saying this is if you're, if you're looking for a reason to find God's word unreasonable, you'll always find one. If, you, if you're looking for a reason where God's word doesn't make sense or fit in your life, you will always find one. And it is being snatched up. The goodness of God's word will be, will be snatched up and taken away and will not bear fruit. It won't even sink into the soil of your heart. Kingdom always means the rule of God. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's always talking about the rule of God in our hearts. And it's a kind of heart that doesn't want to be ruled by God. The hard heart is a kind of heart that, that doesn't want to be preached to and taught to and doesn't want to confess and repent. They want it their way. And Jesus came preaching so that people would be changed so that he can rule in their lives and in their heart. And the biggest hurdle for our lives will always be allowing God to have reign over our hearts. So it is with many today who reject Jesus because they're, they love their life. They don't want to lose it the way that it is. They don't want to lose the freedoms that they have for the way that they have it. And so they reject the gospel thinking that by rejecting it that they will get the life that they've always wanted. I recently heard a young man say, I really want to follow Jesus. I'm just not ready to give up the life that I know is sinful. The hard heart always wants to make these kinds of decisions. I know what it says. I know what I should do. I know what's bad and good, but I don't want to do it. And that's just one way to reject the gospel. That's one way to miss out on the good news. Here's a second way, the second type of soil. It's the rocky ground. The seed on the rocky ground is the gospel that falls on a shallow heart. This seed was, you know, had immediate activity. It springs up. It springs up quickly with joy, lots of spiritual activity. Uh, they get involved in a life group. They fill out that connect card. I mean, they're given to the church. They're ready to go. I mean, they're the ones that are always in there. They're always helping. Uh, they share their faith in the grocery store and at Dutch Brothers. And it's just, they are just all over the place and just doing great things for God. But something tragic happens in the first sign of struggle. At the first sign of like when their earthly experience does not match up with their expectations. They spring back. They retreat. They wither. It's, it's particularly frightening because this person is a person who moves beyond the theory of Christianity. These are the kind of people that they don't just theorize Christianity and, and understand its components and what it says and means, but they seem to embrace it so much so that they're giving their life to it. They're sacrificing time and energy it is, it is moved, it would appear that it is moved beyond their head and it's moved into their heart. Jesus is changing their life, it would appear. But as soon as they begin to lose important things 
in their life, they say, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I imagined it would be like. And it shows that their experience with the gospel was shallow. It's highly emotional. They never really understood the nature of God's agenda in their life. They were so excited for what Jesus could do for them and give to them. But as soon as their life and their expectations didn't match what God was, you know, said, they abandoned it. Blaming circumstances, blaming others, justifying their way of life. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you know people like this. We, we all know people like this. Friends from youth group and college, uh, classmates you grew up to, with who appeared to just love Jesus so much and give so much to him, who now live lives not marked by obedience, but rather rebellion. Maybe this is your story. Maybe this is your story where, where you have lost that sense of joy. You have lost that enthusiasm about your faith. You've been beat down and you wonder deeply and seriously, is this really worth it? You're more callous, you're filled, you're more cynical towards the faith that you once loved. And here's the big question for these people, and maybe for you, is what happened? What happened? What happened to these people? Did they fall away? Were they, were they Christians, and, and, and now they're just not walking Christians? Uh, did they go through a rough patch? What happened? I believe what happens often is what Jesus is describing here in that second soil, the heart of this person is genuinely enthusiastic, genuinely acknowledging their sin, genuinely desiring Jesus, but never transferring trust to him. And maybe that is you. Maybe that is what has happened in you, is you have had this genuine relationship. Not, I don't want to discredit what you had. I don't want to discredit what you thought you had. But maybe there was never this transfer of trust you didn't take yourself off of the throne of your life and put Jesus there. That you had to have things go the way that you wanted them to go, and when they didn't, you lost trust in him. You see, the shallow heart wants a helper, not a savior. The shallow heart wants Jesus to do good for them and answer their prayers and give them a life of happiness. They wanted relief from pain not salvation, not relationship with him. And as long as Jesus was good to them, their, their faith was strong. Their allegiance was, was strong. But when things didn't match up, they became very discouraged. What does this person ultimately treasure in their life? It's not Jesus. It's the gifts of Jesus. It's the life they hoped for. It's the things that, that they hope that he will give to them. And when he doesn't deliver, they shrink back. They wander and walk away. So there's a hard heart that's purely intellectual that rebels against God. And then there's this shallow heart that's almost always purely uh, consequential on, on what's happening in their life. And their faith just moves up and down based on the joys and sorrows that come their way. But then there's another soil. There's another heart. The seed among the thorns is the gospel that falls on a divided heart. It's easy to look at these first two scenarios and think, well, these are obviously not Christians. 
You know, the birds come and snatch it up, and, and the other, they just wither away. I mean, these are obviously people that maybe uh, at most appeared to have some Christian um, affection, but obviously they didn't. This one's a little different, isn't it? This one's a little harder. Uh, they don't deny Jesus. They don't reject him. There seems to be very genuine faith. They're committed to Jesus, but we don't see fruit in their life. Why? Because they have divided loves. They care about competing things. Plants in the garden do not get choked out suddenly. They get choked out slowly over time. Do you, are you aware that the temptations in your heart are designed to actually draw you away from God? They're designed to draw you away, and these things creep in. And at first, they, they don't appear to be threatening at all. Most of the times, if you've noticed, if you've ever had a garden, and those, those little seedlings that come up, and those thorns and weeds that come up, they actually look like plants at first. You're like, oh, how pretty, more plants. But then when they grow into maturity, they're dangerous. They choke out your plants. They look exactly like the plant, but they're not when they mature. They become a major threat to fruitfulness. They hinder fruitfulness. They take all the nutrition from the ground. They, they block out the sunlight. They absorb the water. Another characteristic of these storms is that they're, they're often very good things. They look really good. The nature of these deceitful things is that they're good things, really good things in the wrong place. Money, sex, power, happiness, entertainment, God-designed and God-ordained things just in the wrong place. They become misguided when our desire to be, to have, to feel, to be loved become greater than our desire to know and love Jesus. And here I think Jesus is talking ultimately about what it means to worship. Everyone worships something and and that, that life that, that we live is an overflow of the, of the thing that we worship most. And this third soil has a God complex. There's such a crisis because this person just doesn't know what they want to worship most. Do they want to worship God with their life, or do they want to cling on to the things that they just can't give up because they like them so much? The God complex takes what happens when we take a good thing, a good desire, a desire for a good life, to be loved and accepted and adored and connected, to be wealthy, to be happy. And then we turn that into an idol that we need. And that need then enslaves us and demands everything from us. And we put that good thing at the center of our heart and then we serve that thing with everything that we do. And we say, this I must have. And when we do this, those thorns come up and they choke out the gospel that is growing in our heart. We demand of it, sometimes unknowingly, this, for this good thing to meet our, our deepest needs and deepest longings. But the problem is it can never do that. It can never meet those needs. It will eventually choke out what truly can. It will eventually choke out the gospel and we will become fruitless in our life. Listen to what pastor and author Tim Chester says here. He says, God promises to meet our true needs. But we can't expect him to satisfy our selfish desire. God isn't a divine waiter, ready to serve us whatever we want. God isn't the key to the good life, however I choose to define it. He defines the good life. He is the good life. 
God must be desired for his own sake, not as a purveyor of worldly success. Now, if you notice, all of these three soils, these first three soils, they lead to the final soil. The whole point of telling you the, the story of these three soils, Jesus wants you to know the fourth soil. The seed among the good soil is the gospel that falls on a receiving heart. A receiving heart. What's missing in the first three soils? It's, it's a transforming power of the gospel. They may have the answers, but they, have the, they, they, they don't have a changed life. Their religion has all the right words, but they lack transformation. They lack the, the real redeeming presence of God in their life. No doubt this parable has caused you to, to think of people. I know a person like that, or, oh, that makes sense. That's why this person does that and lives like that. Maybe it's caused you to think of yourself in different times in your life or even where you are today. And the, and the purpose of this is not to get you to think about other people primarily. It's not a litmus test for who gets into heaven and who doesn't. It is here to tell us how the gospel works in people and how it works in us so that we can, we can be receptive to what God wants to do in us, so that we can pray for God to do things in the lives and hearts of others. It's not meant for us to just go around inspecting people's lives and then determining, oh, this makes sense you're living that way. The birds took the seed and snatched it away, or you're being choked out. No, it's to understand God works in our hearts like a seed, and, and it grows. If you're a Christian, this parable is about reminding you that all the blessings that you have from God are not because you are good, but because the gospel has been planted in your heart and it is growing. If you are not a Christian and you are one of those others that are not believers, this parable primarily is for you to show you the way to that life you've always wanted. Our first responsibility as a Christian is not to consider what we give to God, but what we receive. Our first responsibility as a Christian, as a non-Christian, as a skeptic, as a doubter, is to be reminded that this isn't about what I give to God or passing an entrance exam into heaven. This is about how I receive what he is offering. And throughout scripture, we see this common activity of God, that he is pursuing sinners, that he is telling sinners good news, that he is constantly telling people who he is and what he came to do, and then inviting them, not to get their life together, not to be the kind of person that he can love, but to receive, to believe, to hear, to see, to open up their hearts to what he has to say. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate statement that God is the one who provides good soil, and it is a God who gives a new heart. It is God who alone softens our heart to understand, to receive, to protect us. Being a Christian is, is something that does not come naturally. It's something that is bestowed on a person. It must be brought into your life from the outside. 
we had a really wonderful garden in our home. We had a wonderful garden. I think everyone had a garden in their house. I don't think anyone has, I don't believe it, no one has currently a garden. But at one point, everybody had one, right? Because they're really hard to tend to. And we had vegetables, and the kids were really excited, and every kid got to choose a vegetable, and we had we had lettuce, and we had carrots, and we had radishes, and we had all kinds of fun things. And the best part was just waiting for the sprouts to come up, right? They watered it every day. Cohen and Kate and Quinn, they watered it every day, seven to 12 days, right? And you see the little things sprout. And it was so exciting when that, when that, when those plants started to come up. So exciting and so much so that that's really all that they were looking for and didn't water it a day after. (laughs) We used to have a garden. (coughs) And so the point is not just to see this like life and to, and to believe. The point isn't to say, oh, I believe in these things and then to say, okay, I feel his salvation. I feel his forgiveness. The point is that God intends to do so much more than that, to bring us to maturity He is the one who plants the seed and he tends to the soil and he provides the nourishment and the water. He provides the sunlight and he promises that he will do this into maturity. Will you receive that? Will you open up your hearts to believe in that? Well, well, there are so many means of us hearing and responding to the gospel. Only God is capable of opening our heart to truly comprehend our desperate need for the gospel our desperate need for a savior and for the gospel to take root in our lives, to grow, ultimately to bear fruit and to be sustained over time. And sometimes it's a hundredfold and 60-fold and 30-fold. Our lives and the, and the actual work that God will do in our life as it's visible to ourselves and others, it will look different. And even that is God's intention and desire for us. And it is never a measure of his the measure of his love for us. We compare our lives to others. This is about how the gospel is growing in our heart and how we are making ourselves available to him. Your ability to grasp anything of eternal value in Jesus is never based on your impeccable character or on your ability to reason your way through it or your heartfelt seeking after it or even your niceness. I'm sorry to tell you to our nice people, not even about that. None of that made you, made a difference in your life. It was always on the kindness of God. The gospel comes into our life. It changes us. If you remain unchanged by the gospel, then you, what you have is a powerless gospel, which is no gospel at all. And you haven't received the gospel. The gospel's for everyone. The gospel is for every day. The gospel is for every moment. The gospel is for you today. Wherever you are. And it's good news about Jesus and what he has done for us. It is meant to have a central place in our heart where everything in our life is oriented around this good news. It's not just what the Christian does, the gospel isn't about the, what the Christian does, it's what has been done for us. So, what about the others? There are a lot of others. Maybe you are another. And he is, through the preaching of his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he is sending out these seeds onto your heart. 
what you must do in order for this to be fruitful and to take root and to change you and to save you is for you just to be willing to receive it, to surrender yourself to him, to make yourself available to his ongoing work in your heart, to admit your need for him and to give your heart to him. And that soil will be so ready to, be, to receive that seed. And it will grow. And elsewhere, Jesus says, this will grow into a big tree where birds will make its nest in that tree and give shade to people. And it will just create not only a blessing and a life for you of joy, but for so many others. Do not harden your heart towards Jesus. Do not be superficial with him. Do not divide it among many other competing loves, but receive him. Trust in him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.